Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome back to How To Be Sound, a podcast where I, writer and journalist Rosemary McCabe, chat to people I think are sounder than I am to learn about their lives and hope that it will help me be better at mine. Um, I've been away on a little bit of a hiatus. I mean, you probably haven't noticed. I always think it's funny when people are like, you've probably noticed I've been away and you've been too busy living your own lives. But I'm back now. A quick note, if you haven't already, you can sign up to my Patreon from $1 a month and you get to read three essays, three personal essays, which from January on I will be recording each and every piece that I upload on Patreon. So if you're a podcast listener and that's what you do in your commute, you can also listen to my Patreon pieces from January through your earphones. So if that's something you're interested in, head to patreon.com slash Rosemary McCabe. Now, onto the episode. Today I am joined by Colette Kinsella, radio producer, podcaster, cat owner. Do you have anything else you'd like to add? <laughs> Messer. <laughs> Total chancer. Colette, tell me a bit about the radio work that you do and the podcasts that you produce so that people can get a flavour for your interests. Right, well, um, I suppose the radio work that I do is, I suppose, anything that people throw money at me for. But what I'm really interested in is I do some nature stuff. I do a lot about science as well. On radio, I've done a few hour-long series for Radio 1. And then I do reports. I occasionally reports for Radio 1 and other places too. I do occasional series for places like ABC in Australia. And then I make two podcasts. One podcast is called Science Drops. And that's a teeny tiny 90 second episode or it's a teeny tiny series of 90 second episodes. And the other one I make with the amazing Collie Ennis. It's called The Critter Shed. And we sit in his Critter Shed, which is literally full of critters of all shapes and sizes and multi-legged. And we talk about them. And then occasionally we get outside and we talk to other people who have interests and things that aren't, you know, things that are mammals and whatever. So that's that's me. And, and where did the animal nature science background come from? Like, do you have a background in biology, zoology, or was this a, a happy accident of life? God, I don't know. I suppose I've always been interested in animals. I've always been mad about animals. So uh, as a kid, we just had dogs and cats at home. But, you know, I was out the back garden looking at birds and spiders and all that sort of stuff. Then I really, in, in secondary school, I really wanted to do a science degree, but I was too thick. I just wasn't getting the points. I remember sitting in the room of, what do you call those people who are supposed to help you to find out what you the want to do with the rest. Counselors. Guidance counsellors. And I say, They yeah, always just tell you to be a science. teacher, I think. Oh, for God's sake. This woman, actually, I just told her, yeah, really interested in science. So she picked up a catalogue of science courses that were on the go. And actually, what I really wanted to do, I wanted to do either zoology or marine biology in Galway, or I wanted to be a vet, which I'm actually glad now I didn't do that. And something else with science or animals. And she flicked through all these things. So she, we put down my main preferences first. I got none of those. Oh. And then she came across this uh, degree. She says, yeah, this has science and microbiology, blah, blah, blah. I put that down. That was my fourth choice. That's what I got. Do you know what it was? I didn't even know what I had signed up for what, until what I turned up it? in college. A health inspector. No offence to health inspectors. We need them. But it just wasn't me. So I actually signed up for something. I had no idea what I was signing up for. And did you do the degree? I did. It was a four-year science degree. And 
Yeah, How was some, that? Odd. There was Is a lot of drinking. Like, oh. There was a lot of not going to college. There was a lot of skipping like statistics class <laughs> and wearing lab coats. And it was just odd, an odd degree. Is that the same kind of health inspector that my mom like calls me every two weeks and goes, you never see what's been shut down. She's obsessed with this. Is it the same <laughs> yeah. people who go around to restaurants it basically? Is, yeah, yeah. So the health inspectors, when we were when we were coming up, they would do the restaurants, but they also do things like housing. So they would inspect council housing and make sure anywhere where people live and work and socialize essentially is up to standard and is not going to kill you. That's more or less what they do, which is actually a very interesting job. Yeah. But back then, it wasn't really well. It what wasn't I what you to wanted do. to do. No, it wasn't. In fact, I didn't know what I wanted to do. Who does? Well, maybe some people do at eighteen. I certainly didn't. Do you ever now walk into someone's house and go, "This wouldn't pass"? Well, when I moved into our house, which is um, a very unusual house because it's in uh, Dublin Zoo, and because my boyfriend is the director and he has a house right on the grounds, and we have a cat called Daisy, and when Daisy came. She got her name because every time she jumped up on the countertops, I would take out the Tesco branded Daisy detergent to clean it down um, because I was so obsessed with these filthy little paws all over the place. So eventually we just decided to call her Daisy. But that stopped after about two months and now I don't give a crap. <laughs> I thought you were going to say she stopped jumping on the counters. <laughs> oh God, no, she's taken over the house. Let's go back a bit because I do want to hear about living in a house on the zoo, which sounds like the start of a Nina Blyton novel. <laughs> But tell me about how, how you met your partner, who's, who's the director of the zoo. Oh, God. I had lived abroad for many years and worked in various jobs. When I moved back to Ireland in um, 2006, I did a master's in journalism and realised I wanted to be a radio producer. So I got my first gig making packages and I didn't want to be a live producer. I wanted to make these crafted pieces that would go out as little self-contained stories on radio. So I got my first gig making pieces about science for The Mooney Show on RT Radio 1. And they were essentially pop questions, pop science questions. So why is the sky blue or why does it rain so much in Ireland or why do we have waves? And one of the questions I wanted to find out the answer to was... You know the way when birds fall asleep on a branch, but don't fall off? Oh, why is that? Like, why? I was under pressure to make these things. I was new to the business, so I was under pressure. So I rang the zoo. The only place I could find, I could think of to actually maybe talk to somebody who might have that answer. There was nobody there, so I left, an email, I left a, a voicemail. And it must have sounded weird. Hi, I'm a journalist. <laughs> um, I was just wondering, is there anyone there who could tell me how birds' legs work? <laughs> <laughs> so I got a call back from this guy. It was a mobile, mobile phone number and I had I had looked up how birds legs worked. So I knew what the answer was roughly. But this guy, beautiful, deep voice, explained in the most amazing terms how birds legs worked and how they wouldn't fall off because when they hunkered down, they had all these beautiful tendons that pulled up their toes and made them clutch the branch ever tightly, ever more tightly if they were, you know, the lower they hunkered down. And he was such a good storyteller that I had to meet him. I had to just go up and get his voice on tape. And I asked him, can I interview you for this? And he said, look, I don't have time. And I begged him because I was under I was under a lot of pressure. I had a deadline. So I hopped on my bike, lashed up to the zoo. He had 15 minutes for me, met him at the gate. Hour and a half later, we're still sitting in his office. He did an amazing interview. And I have to say, I was pretty smitten the first time I met him. But... <laughs> I had to stalk him for six months because 
he didn't know six months that he was also smitten with six months yeah he didn't know (laughs) (laughs) so I made up all these outlandish excuses to go back and visit the zoo so I came up with this idea to make a program called conversations in the dark about what animals sound like at night and what they do at night in the zoo (laughs) and I rang him up and he goes oh yeah that sounds really good why did you come around on Saturday at like one one o'clock in the afternoon I go uh, conversations in the dark. Oh, right, right. Yeah, come around at eight. I thought, yes. So I went around at eight o'clock and we had the most wonderful walk around the zoo. And Hang on, were you actually making this program? Was I this was actually okay, making good, this program. Okay, good, okay, good. Yeah, okay. <laughs> we had the most wonderful walk around the zoo and I, he was just an incredible guy. But again, it took him another six months to... Um, to find out that I was the one for him. So I made that program, but I kept coming back. I had excuses to uh, to make more make more uh, audio and, and get more stuff. And at the end of every session, he would invite me into his office for a cup of tea. And then about six months after I started this ruse, <laughs> um, he invited me in through this red door. And there was a whole lot of bikes and boots and stuff downstairs. And uh, we we're just taking off our wellies. And I said, oh, where are we? He said, oh, this is where I live. I just thought, yes. I'm in. <laughs> so we went upstairs and we had the best crack. We just had, t- there was no food in the house. We hadn't been to Tesco or the delivery hadn't arrived. So we had tea and digestives and the best crack. And as I was leaving, I said to him, call me, call me. I'm not calling you anymore. And he goes, OK, I will. And the next week we had our first date. And I was in the science gallery and I moved in eight months later. I'm actually, I'm surprised you didn't move in in that initial <laughs> six months. So you didn't just wake up and you're like, I live here now. Yeah, I probably would have if I'd, if I'd found a way in. <laughs> and like, what's it like? Okay, so practically speaking, living in the zoo, I presume it's cordoned off from the rest of the zoo. Is it? If you know what I mean. Well, it's actually... There is a garden that separates us from the zoo, but essentially we're on display because it's a big Victorian house that overlooks the lake and people pass by as they're going from the restaurant into the zoo. So they actually can look up at our house. And it's a feature there because it was built in 1868. And historically, every person who has ever run the zoo has lived there. So it's got an amazing history to it. And there's a sign in front and all that sort of stuff. So we have this thing where we're standing at the window we see people walking up to the sign that tells them about the house and we wait five, four, three. And then they look up and then there we are waving at them. Uh-huh. So we're actually we're, we're in the zoo, essentially. So yeah. we get the full gamut of people passing by, which I quite like. I like the sounds of the kids and, yeah. you know, there's just a lovely buzz. And then, of course, we get these wonderful animal sounds, which are, oh, God, it's it's hard to describe what they are because I've been living there for eight years and now I'm so used to it, but I still love it. And I can't imagine not hearing those sounds. Like yeah. I might be in town sometimes and I'll hear a sound and I go, wow, the elephants are out. And then I go, gee, <laughs> I have to, I have to get used to not living in the zoo at some point. Well, well not every sound in. is an animal sound. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're tuned into a certain frequency. Yeah. That's so interesting. And like when you first moved in, do you remember, like, did you find it hard to sleep? No, no. I mean, I lived in Cairo, for God's sake. I mean, if you can sleep in Cairo, you can sleep in any, sleep anywhere. I... No, it was amazing. It was just, it was really exciting. The, I think the sounds that got me most first were the wolves. You know that I can actually have the hackles almost standing up in the back of my neck at the moment. Because you know that sound that just is so otherworldly mm. and you don't think you're ever going to hear it outside your outside your window. TV, but like, yeah, yeah like outside of TV, outside of yeah. documentaries. And then I spent many months 
at night trying to identify the different sounds that I'd hear. What animal is that? And occasionally, a few nights, I got up in the middle of the night just to walk into the zoo to see what the hell was making the noise. I was so curious to find out who was making that noise that I'd walk into the zoo and find out. So can out. you get into the zoo from... Yeah. And can you just wander in whenever you want? Mm, sort of, yeah. I have to let the security guys know, but... Oh, could you be sneaking your mates in to look at the wild lights? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh my God, you could be selling counterfeit tickets. I've often thought about doing that with, um, I've often thought about doing that with parking permits during like when there's matches on in Croke Park. See, I'd never thought about that. You could do the wild lights. You're, you're obviously not as entrepreneurial as I am. That's what it is. Maybe I'm just honest. No, entrepreneurial. Well, listen. Where do you stand on what do you think or what do you say when people argue that the concept of the zoo itself is wrong or is cruel or unethical I mean I know you're not the director of the zoo as well so I'm not like like I don't want to put you on the spot yeah but I also feel like it's something that I really struggle with because when I was younger I loved the zoo and I went to Wild Lights last year and I thought it was amazing but I haven't been to the zoo in a couple of years because I kind of can't really get my head around the idea of certain animals being in captivity and I mean to a certain extent I can I can understand the the ideas about conservation and breeding programs. And I think that's really great. And I also think it's a like the zoo is a really incredible place for kids to go with their families that isn't like the pub or that isn't a shopping centre and to learn about the world and to learn about animals. And I think that's really valuable. But I do really grapple with the kind of idea of like, I think anybody in their 30s and 40s will remember. Oh, God, yeah. And we were very young. How awful it was. And there was this one polar bear. Do you remember that polar oh, bear? Yeah. Was there was a polar bear that used to take two steps forward and two steps back. And that was all it did all day. And it was in a very small enclosure. It was probably yeah. the size of like a two bedroom, you know, the average two bedroom house. It was yeah. tiny. It was awful. I yeah. remember the chimps as well, just sort of swinging on their bars. I remember everything being in cages. But I totally see where you're coming from, because before I met Leo, before I got to know what Dublin Zoo was all about, I, I would never go to a zoo. I've I sort of been to a few zoos around the world because just, you know, maybe marking time somewhere, waiting Mm -hmm. for a bus or something. And they're just awful experiences in many places. They're horrible. But since I've learned about Dublin Zoo, my conscience has definitely been appeased because of Dublin Zoo. Now, I I, I can only speak about that zoo because that's the one I know. Mm -hmm. And the way that animals are now kept in, in places like Dublin Zoo or specifically in Dublin Zoo it's all centered around what the animal needs. And in the olden days, it used to be about keeping the place clean. So having the animals on concrete and they didn't evolve on concrete. Oh, yeah. So they're very uncomfortable. Oh, my God, there was so much concrete. So much concrete. And there were cages everywhere. and There were bars and the bars are gone. And it's all about what does the animal need? So we always, we have this discussion a lot about how much space you could give. You should give to an animal, especially when you have an animal at home as well. But it's not, it's not always just about the amount of space. It's what can that animal do in a space? I mean, you and I could sit in Croke Park together and it was empty and we'd be bored out of our trees. But if there was something to do in Croke Park or in a smaller space, if there was, you know, just things to... I mean, something to do in Croke Park in the sounds corner. like a nightmare to me. There'd be a lot of walking. <laughs> I'd rather sit in a metre square. But like Exactly. So if you're in a large space where there's nothing to do, it's boring. So now it's all about trying to recreate as much as possible the habitats that these animals would normally experience in the wild. And none of the animals in the zoo are wild-born. They're all zoo-born. So that's what the ethos is. So it's a very, particularly in Dublin Zoo since Leo took over, the ethics of 
keeping these animals has been copper fastened and it's all about the animal and what the animal needs. It's a no-kill zoo. A lot of zoos, as we know from the thing that happened in Denmark a while ago, a lot of zoos kill animals if they're surplus to requirements. overbred them. Yeah. And they they have their various reasons for justifying that and some people agree with it and some people don't. In Dublin Zoo, they've gone the route where no animals we don't have the right to tell animals when their lives are over mm. so unless they're in a lot of pain and then they have discussions about it mm-hmm. and it's it's a big decision so i to get back to the original thing of where i stand on zoos if i know a zoo is ethical if i know they they they, they look after their animals properly that their animals are not bored and it, that it's about the animal then i'm i'm down with it and i've learned a lot since i started doing the critter shed as well i would be mostly adamantly against people keeping exotic pets. But now that I've started doing this critter shed with Collie Ennis, who really knows how to look after his exotic pets, and he does on a much smaller scale what Leo does and the team do in Dublin Zoo, which is it's not about the space, it's about how to keep these animals happy Mm. and what they need. And so I've... I still think not everybody has the right to keep animals because mm. I think animals have rights too and we shouldn't just assume that we, we can do whatever we want with mm. them. But as long as they're being kept properly and looked after and they have stimulation and it's not just about keeping them alive, but it's giving them something mm. to do. Mm. Giving them, them a life, life. exactly, yeah. life worth living. Um, then then I'm, then it's fine, you know. I think Kali, I only met Kali a couple of weeks ago, so we're all mm. on, on the same uh, podcast network. And I met him a couple of weeks ago and I started following him on Twitter. And it's, uh, and it's hilarious. Since follow- yeah, he, he is hilarious, but he's very, he's very informative as well. Mm. And following him has really m- made me think, actually, most people shouldn't keep exotic animals. I agree. Because like seeing some of the things that he shares where he's going, oh, this is what you should do with this. Like, no, like most people do not have the time or the the attention or the desire to, to give you know, the focused attention and, and time that they need to, to these animals. And I think he was sharing a couple of weeks ago, um, people had shared some geckos or lizards that they had for sale on Dundeal. Mm. And he was comparing them to healthy. And he was basically saying this this gecko is starved. Like this lizard is completely vitamin D deprived. Like, you know, yeah. whatever it was, they were like, these haven't been kept well. And it reminded me of a couple of years ago, maybe three or four years ago now. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot maybe your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. I found, is it a tortoise? Like one of the small ones, a turtle? I don't know. Oh. Was it in water? It was, I don't really know. Basically, somebody had dumped it by the canal oh God. near where my parents live. And yeah. it was in the grass beside the canal. So it had kind of crawled out and we brought it home and it died within about 24 hours. We brought it home and we looked up like what to do with it. And my dad put it in 
a big tank with kind of some water at the bottom yeah. and I think put it in like near the boiler room so it'd be a bit warm because we didn't have lights so we didn't have anything for this animal do you know what I mean so we were kind of going what are we doing we'll bring it to yeah. the DSPCA but when I posted about it online I was like you know I found this like is this wild or is this and people were going no they're not wild people just jump them like people get sick of them and they they drop them in the canal because they didn't realize that they're going to live for well forever 20, I mean, 30, way 40, past 50 years. our lifespan yeah I totally agree in my work in, in the, the small stuff that I do on radio and podcast, I try to subvert the notion that we have that animals are there for us to use. Now, not everybody believes that, but I think it's a lot of people would just assume, yeah, they're, they're, they're sort of there for us and we can mm. do what we want with them and we can buy a dog, buy a cat and we use the word ownership. And I try to not, I don't want to be pushy or didactic, but I just tried to show the other side that animals are actually individuals and that they didn't evolve just to be our playthings. Mm. And I'm very much against like, I hate these bloody videos that got around the internet of cute little animals doing things that are, that make them look like teddy bear, teddy bears, because dogs and cats and other animals, they're not teddy bears. Mm. They're not toys. They have their own lives and they have their own rights. And that really gets up my, my nose. So in my own work, I try to talk about animals, not, be, not, how we can exploit them or eat them or cook them or whatever. Mm. But hey, aren't they great? And they were here before we were. They evolved in a different way and they're just bloody cool. So mm. let's just look at them in a way that we're partnering with them instead of exerting ownership or dominion over them. Yeah, I think it's kind of that Spider-Man thing that it, like, it's more a responsibility than a right. Yeah. Like, like looking after an animal, taking an animal yeah. into your home. Like... People sometimes ask me, or, you know, I'll see people saying, we're thinking of getting a dog, right? And 99% of the time, I will tell them not to. Yeah. I'm like, wait until you have a baby and then you have to be in the house anyway. Yeah. Wait until you have a baby and then you have to really carefully plan your weekends away anyway. Because when you have a dog, and I mean, I, I kind of knew this on paper, but didn't know it in a, the lived experience kind of way. Like, you can't just take an impromptu weekend away. Mm. You can't decide to stay out all day because you've met mm. a friend and you're having coffee and you're going to have a mulled wine and it's Christmas because your dog's been at home for six hours. Yeah, and people don't realise that you can't leave a dog alone for an entire working day or no. you shouldn't, that it's torture no. for them. And I mean, also, I think in a way, until I, until I got a dog of my own as an adult... I didn't really realize that dogs had distinct personalities. Right. I kind of thought there were like good dogs and bad dogs. Yeah. And that was, and, and good dogs were always happy to see you and bad dogs were bad and yeah. like would be snappy. And there was no in between, like I would kind of categorize it as my parents had a nice Labrador and my friend had a Jack Russell. And I was like, that's a bad dog. It's really yappy and it's not very friendly. Whereas our dog's a good dog. Yeah. And it was only when I got older that I realized, because my dog's a bit of an asshole. That's just her personality. <laughs> like she's, she's like a two year old who's just very belligerent where you'll kind of say to her, hey, come here. And she'll look at you. And she'll look at your left hand and your right hand and be like, you don't have anything. I'm not coming. <laughs> like, she's very, you know, headstrong. Mm. And like, I didn't realize kind of that dogs would have personality yeah. traits. And like my mom as well, it's funny, she's like, I, you talk to that dog like that dog. You think that dog has personality. And I'm like, of course the dog has personality. <laughs> but it's the kind of generational thing where she does not get it at all. Yeah. And I have three cats and they are all very, very distinct three complete different personalities and some of them get on some of them are just like the female obviously is the smartest one the two lads are are very different again one is really shy the other one is a total charisma you know superstar guy he he greets everybody and um yeah they're they're person they're individuals and how do they like living in the zoo well they don't get into it very much because they're indoor cats and i keep them indoors because 
You live on the zoo. Cats are great predators. Yeah, see, everyone thinks that I won't, don't let them out because they get killed. But no, they would just kill too many things. I mean, oh, no, so no, no. few. I wasn't thinking about them getting killed necessarily. I was just thinking about them causing a ruckus. Yeah, that too. And also, tearing around the place. And also, it's sort of a quarantine area, essentially. So you can't be bringing filthy, parasite-ridden animals into them from the outside. <sighs> but I don't let them out because I don't want to kill birds and squirrels and, yeah, and all yeah. that sort of stuff. But one of them goes out in a leash. And I used to bring him into the zoo back before... I wasn't allowed to. And uh, he brought me down to the lions one time. I just follow him on the leash, you know, yeah, yeah. and he sort of wandered down to where the lions were. And the, the lions got a whiff of him before he even saw them. Right. And so he's like heading towards his big cousins. And there on the other side of this bush, they're literally going, there's something, something tasty coming down here. Normally he never wants to go home. But as, as we turned around this bush, and he just saw these enormous Four enormous felines looking at him. He just froze and then turned tail and boom, all the way back to the house. And I like this tiny little black and white yoke on the end of a on the end of a leash, and I'm lashing after him. Um, but apart from that, that was a, I think it was only in the zoo twice. And then we realised it's not a good idea to take him in for quarantine. That was years ago though. So anyway, they're indoor cats, but they have plenty of space, and I make sure that they're entertained. Plus, they go outside with me. Ted goes out in the leash, and they're grand. They're happy. Yeah. Like, I, I couldn't have cats if I didn't know I was going to be able to keep them happy, you know? Yeah, yeah. My sister, I mean, cats are kind of one of the things I think people think they can get a cat and leave the cat alone for the weekend. Yeah, they And, like, they're technically, not, yeah. you, you can. Like, yeah, they the do need company, and, Yeah. They do need company. Yeah, they need company and they need stimulation. My sister got a cat, um, a kitten, for her oldest son. He's he's really good with the cat, like, and he he loves the cat and he plays with the cat and the cat sleeps with him and he takes the cat up to bed and he takes the cat down in the morning and the two of them say good morning and... But they bought a leash because he wanted to bring the cat out in the garden. And he's seven, right? But he just will not understand that the cat is not a dog. Yeah. So he wants to lead the cat around by the leash. and it doesn't work like that. No. And like, I keep trying to tell him, you're just going to have to wait for the cat to move. And he keeps trying to like pull the cat and the cat's like, what is going on? I don't want to be out here. And he's like, come over here, Vinny. And he's like trying to pull the cat over to the swings. And you're like, no, no, the cat like is, is not interested. But basically we couldn't find a cat harness. So we ended up buying him a dog harness and he can worm out of it. Oh, right. In like a flash without, yeah, you know, and I don't think he really knows how, but it just happens mm-hmm. by accident. And at one stage he wormed out of it and went legging it out oh. like across the garden. And we caught him. Another day, the three-year-old chance <laughs> opened one of the back windows and we were all down down the sitting room my sister suddenly went who opened this window I did I did it <laughs> and, we're, and we're like okay and she goes where's Vinny and none of us could find Vinny so we all go out in the garden we're all calling Vinny I'm like rustling his food Nash is sitting in a corner with his with his hands on his knees bawling his head off like unhelpfully Aww. like Nash cry later let's like try and find the cat <laughs> and we're all like running around and Chance is just running around going Vinny Vinny gone Vinny gone Vinny <laughs> Vinny not coming back Vinny not coming back Bye bye Vinny And you're like Jesus Christ But anyway then So we literally spent like 25 minutes looking for this cat And then eventually I walked back around The back of the house And in the doorway So I couldn't tell If he had even gone out Yeah In the doorway He was just sitting there Looking at me Like what are you all Doing out here And it kind of made me think Oh he's actually Alright being in the house Yeah Do you know what I mean Because he was just like Sitting in the doorway Going it's cold out there Like what what are you all doing While Chance was around The front going Bye bye they sleep 18 hours a day. That's their thing. That's how they conserve energy. So, you know. Yeah. Oh, it's very cute. So what's next? You said you've been, you've been in the zoo for eight years, but you're, move, are you, you're, you're moving on. Well, we are. Yeah. So um, when Leo retires, we're moving. So we're moving out. That's really mean. So you it don't is get to very stay. Mean. No, it's very, very mean. I think we should have like house for life privileges at this stage, you know? I mean, I, it does worry me because 
I haven't had neighbours in eight years, apart from, you know, the president. Um, but <laughs> <laughs> And I will I never be able to use that in a sentence party. again. Our neighbour, the president. This is one of the last times I've ever been able to use that in a sentence. But it's it's going to be odd. I remember I was over in, um, I was, I was, I was somewhere in town and I looked up at the top of a tree and I saw what, what, what it turned out to be a plastic bag sort of at the top of this tree. And I thought, oh, well, the red pandas were out early today. And then I thought, <laughs> oh, my God, how am I going to adjust to mm. life in the real world with neighbours and with neighbours who actually make human sounds mm-hmm. as opposed to lovely animal sounds. But uh, we're thinking of moving to the Netherlands because Leo is Dutch. Oh, lovely. Yeah, so it's going to be great Very fun. good at recycling over there. Very good at recycling. And lots of other things too. Great design and they, yeah, just good at lots of things. And do you speak Dutch? Not yet. I know how I to say tonight is fanafen. Is it? Yeah, because because I used to be able to say, basically, will you kiss me tonight? Because there were these Dutch guys on a campsite and I, was, <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to try and impress. So I think fanafen is tonight and like dewey is goodbye. Dewey. dewey. Yeah, I used to live in Germany, so I speak German. And I think you're sort of, you have a good head start yeah, when you speak Irish German. Yeah, then you'd be grand. Yeah, be grand. It'll, I mean, at the moment, my Dutch is still very German and Leo cracks up when I try to speak it. Likewise, when he tries to speak German. I but, went on um, a few dates with a Dutch guy, so I enthusiastically downloaded Duolingo and started learning Duolingo, like <laughs> Dutch. But all I ever learned was like, can I have an apple? And she are we splitting the bill? <laughs> he is eating an apple. No, I don't think we ever got to, are you splitting the bill? Because like... <laughs> Duolingo is obsessed with apples. <laughs> Honestly, all it is is apple. I, I, I was trying to practice my Italian as well because I, I have a degree in Italian and I was trying oh, wow. to kind of top it up on Duolingo. I never got past like, io mangio una mela. <laughs> so you're good. You can order apples in how many languages now? Ooh. Um, <laughs> English, Irish, French, Italian, probably Spanish. That's good going. And Dutch. That's good going. But like, the apple. I never want an apple on my holidays. I want to go to McDonald's. <laughs> I don't even like apples. Oh, they make me sick. But yeah, Dutch, it's going to be fun. So the but Netherlands. The, the oh, Netherlands. It's actually so nice. And like, it is, but there's, um, the Dutch are very direct. <laughs> oh yeah, 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 totally, totally. Um, one of my colleagues over in the Netherlands, I was telling her where we were going to live and she goes, oh yeah, that place. Yeah, my husband's from there. It's so boring. <laughs> and every Dutch person I've told since that we're moving to this particular area, why would anybody want to live there? Well, clearly, somebody wants to live there. We do. So and but they're, they're quite direct. And I think, I mean, having lived in Germany where the Germans are direct, but God, yeah. they're not as direct as the Dutch. Absolutely not. Yeah, but I think weirdly, um, from my perception of this Dutch guy that I went on three dates with and then my <laughs> large perception of Germany having been there once, I feel like Dutch people are, are more direct, but slightly more laid back yeah, in a weird way. I think so, yeah. Like Germans are, are very direct, but also kind of... Um, kind of uh, straight laced or you know kind of rigid in yeah, a way that the Dutch yeah. aren't as much I, that's what I feel too and I used to work for a Dutch company when I lived in the Netherlands uh, when I lived in Germany and I'd go over two or three times a week and we had great crack it was much more laid back in the office than in say German offices yeah. that I'd worked in and it was all so in, in Dutch and German you have the the two forms of you. There's one formal version oh, yeah, and one yeah. informal. The Dutch had just always use the informal. Oh, where's the Germans use the formal? Yeah, until so a certain French. point. Yeah, and yeah. yeah. So it's going to be interesting. I mean, it's it's a great adventure. This is my fourth country now to live in. And Leo's been all over the world as well. So for him, it's like he's going back to his roots mm. to, to get to know his own culture, which is exactly what I did when I moved here. Into, yeah. When I moved back in 2006. So it's going to be an adventure for both of us. Yeah, in, um, in totally different ways. And 
When is this happening? Whenever he can find his replacement. Okay. But I suspect perhaps next year, like maybe March, April, May, something like that. Wow. So it's yeah. very exciting. It is very I mean, exciting. daunting, I'm sure. Yeah. But also exciting. And what will that mean for the Critter Shed? Oh, I'll be back and forth. I, I spend so much time building up what I have in Ireland, mm. friendships and work. And I do love what I do here. And I, I love my friends and I, I like coming back. I'm totally up for a new adventure, but I also want to keep one foot here. Yeah. And, and it's also near enough that you can. It is, totally. Yeah. And I like the idea of sort of living in two countries. So I'll be back and forth a lot. Colleen and I are you know, experimenting with new formats as well. Well, maybe I'll drag him over to the Netherlands. There's tons of amazing stuff happening over yeah. there with rewilding and the Dutch are creating new islands, especially for especially for wildlife. Oh, wow. So there's a lot of stuff over there to talk about. And they always try new things as well. And they don't always work, but I like the idea that they try things mm. and if it works and they'll, they'll develop it. So we're looking forward to seeing what they're doing because they have so little nature left in the Netherlands yeah. that what they do have... They're managing in a very particular way. And I'm very excited about that and trying to find out how they do it. Like I've been to Amsterdam a couple of times. I really yeah. love Amsterdam. It's a, it's a lovely country. I mean, the, the, yeah. the towns are beautiful. They're well looked after. They're just so pretty. That's Someone actually is- what the Dutch, my Dutch ex-boyfriend who I almost married after those three days. Um, <laughs> he, he was saying that one of the things that he noticed about Dublin was that it's really well loved, but it's not well cared for. Yeah. And that's something that I feel you really see the opposite of in totally. the Netherlands. Well, I mean, in a lot of European countries as well. Yeah. Like, I'm, I'm often struck by just the sheer lack of rubbish. Yeah, I know. It's amazing. I'm also Basically. very struck by the, the sheer number of clean windows. And I just wonder oh. how our neighbours are going to react to us. I haven't cleaned the windows in about eight years in our house. Yeah, I actually remember a guy called, like, when I was living in my old house, I was there for seven years. I remember a guy called, probably about year six, and was like, do you want me to clean your windows? And I was like, <laughs> no, thanks. And I mean, like, he was actually a window cleaner. He was just going door to door. And I was like, no, thank you. And then as he left, I was like, hang on, maybe I should have said yes. <laughs> it probably would have been a good idea. Yeah. Colette, do you have anything that you'd like to plug or you'd like people to check out other than so Science Drops and the Critter Shed podcast available on all your regular podcast networks? I yeah, presume? that's right. Yeah. I'm on Twitter at uh, Red Hair Colette, I think. I'm terrible at knowing my own handle. So I, I trade Excellent under... business management. <laughs> I trade under red hair media and it's hair as in the animal. I, I try to do a few little experimental stuff with animal themed things. And I, I've, I've done pieces where I brought um, improv actors together and we've done little bits about, you know, what would it be like if humans had tails? And then we just do a few skits about that. So all that's basically stuff. like the horror, the horror film Cats. God, oh, that they're just, oh, I've seen the trailer. Oh, I can't unsee it. But um, nobody can. So I've a few bits and bobs on the on the website there, redhairmedia.ie, if you fancy having a look. Okay. And hope I'll, you enjoy. I'll link that all in the show notes. Thank you so much for taking the time to Thank chat you. to me. And best of luck with your new adventure and, and Leo's re- rewilding in, in uh, the Netherlands. Yeah, we're all going to be rewilded. <laughs> yeah. Oh, hang on. Are you bringing the cats? Oh, God, yeah. It's funny. Everyone asked me to bring the cats. They're like, nah, we're just... Just leave them. You know, are bringing the cats. You know, um, a friend of mine lived in Dubai for a couple of years and she was saying that they have, so basically like kind of expats mm. in Dubai from the UK, or from America, or whatever. And she said a lot of the time when they're, when they're moving out, you'll see these signs in the apartment blocks that say like free to a good home, like, Ugh. you know, two seater sofa, two armchairs, record player, like things that they can't bring home. Cat and like Bichon Freeze dog named Sandy kind of thing. Yeah. And she's like, it's so weird. They have such a disposable attitude. Yeah. And obviously... Hashtag not all Dubai based expats, but she said that it's something that you see an awful lot. Yeah. Which I can't imagine. Like when I was talking about going to the States, the amount of people are like, Are you bringing your dog? I know. And I was like, No. What? <laughs> like, like my dog who I like cuddle to sleep every single night, of course I'm bringing my dog. 
Anyway, thank you very much for taking the thank time. Thank you very much. I will link all of your stuff in the show notes and I will chat to you soon. Thank you so much for listening to How To Be Sound. How To Be Sound is produced by Liam Garrity, radio producer extraordinaire, and his podcast, Meet Your Maker, is on all good podcast networks. You can also listen to Petrified, a podcast he co-created that won a podcast award at the New York Podcast Festivals or something that I can't quite remember. And you can find them all on the Warren Podcast Network at thewarren.ie and anywhere you get podcasts. Like I said in the beginning, you can sign up to my Patreon. Please do. I'm very money hungry. Patreon.com slash Rosemary McCabe. And I will catch you next time. I eat an apple. Ihim ul. Io manja, no, io manjo una mela. Uh, je mange une pomme. Mm, I can't remember it in Dutch. Uh, what would it be in Spanish? Yo, yo. How to be sound is a member of the Warren, the home of great Irish podcasts. As is my podcast, Meet Your Maker. You'll find them all at thewarren.ie. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.